Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Broadcasting the Boys right here on the Blogging the Boys podcast network. As always, I am Ari Temker along with Roy White on Twitter at Ari Sports or on Twitter at RW3. And what's the countdown at now, Roy? Where are we at? A glorious five shows remain until DAC Day, Franchise Tag Day, the day that I still believe DAC will ultimately sign his franchise tag. There will not be an extension. And uh, we'll move forward. But if you've listened to the podcast up to this point, then you know how we feel about it. So we'll just remind you, five shows until DAC Day. Be excited. We are one show closer. Yeah, that's right. Five shows and then all this DAC mess will be behind us. And we'll never hear another talking point or or opinion on DAC Prescott ever again after that. That's what's awesome about it. Hopefully we'll give ourselves at least a month's hiatus before we jump back into whether or not the Cowboys will trigger a long-term deal in the offseason, because at least, at least the franchise tag means they cannot negotiate with him in season. There should be no talk of it from anybody for several months if that is, in fact, the case. But as we know, <laughs> have you learned nothing? It'll be 35 seconds. <laughs> The reports will be coming fast and furiously, but I digress. Five would, weeks away. If you're listening to this podcast, I would just encourage you, if you are listening to any shows out there that immediately start talking about Dak's long-term future the day after D-Day, change the channel. Throw Turn it off. off. <laughs> you are in the wrong place. Yes, yes, well said. By the way, Friday, uh, Friday Dallas Cowboys football is back. That's cool. That's Friday. awesome. <laughs> Friday is when uh, the Dallas Cowboys are open for business. They will. Uh, they will. They will resume business. They the facility will open in Frisco, and they'll be back to making football. I guess. I don't really know what they're gonna be doing on Friday. I just know that Friday is like the day that they can get back to the offices. I guess cooking right? up football, <laughs> throwing, up throwing some leather in a in a pot. Toiling over it. Yeah. yeah, just cooking it up for us. Um, that is exciting. I mean, it's it's definitely exciting, I suppose, if you're hopeful about an NFL season, that the news is that they're all getting back into the facilities. That also, though, triggers another aspect where these players are going to be in close contact with one another for the next several weeks. And if something comes out with one team – in which coronavirus or COVID-19 starts spreading around the facility, I shudder to think of what might transpire from that. Right. Well, I mean, you'd hope, you'd hope, considering, you know, the amount of time that has elapsed since this started, that there'd be some kind of planning, <laughs> some something, you know, that, 
in the case of positive tests, that they have some sort of protocol in order to figure out what to do and what not to do. I mean, well, you'd Ted, assume they'd, they'd quarantine them for two weeks and go from there, I suppose. Yeah. But does that shut things down for right. a singular franchise? And if it does, is that fair to the rest of the NFL who is still able to go through their normal processes? right? Because it's all regulated as to how many in-person practices teams can hold with one another. And the entire point of it is so that everything's on an even playing field. If one team has to cancel a week's worth of practices because of an infection that's taking place, what happens around the rest of the NFL? I don't know if they've talked about that scenario. I'm sure that they have. I assume these businessmen have covered all of the angles as to where this could potentially go, but I'm tempering my excitement for tomorrow with also uh, some caution as to whether or not, you know, it gets worse from here. So NFL coaches are, are essentially the ones being allowed back in team facilities on Friday. Um, this of course, basically almost three months to when they were locked out of the facilities because of the pandemic in a memo sent to NFL teams um, members of the coaching staff will count toward the number of employees who could be in the building, which is capped at 100. So not players yet, but this is obviously the first process towards getting players back. And to your point, you know, even though players are going to be back on Friday, they will be soon. And you will you have would to have think s- within the next two weeks, right? right. If yep. everything goes according to plan. Yes. But again, it's, it's great to have like, Back, being back to football in some capacity. So I don't really know what capacity it is, but it's some capacity. Um, I, I think we've done a good job on this show in the short amount of time we've been hosting this show it, on finding, and I think you and I believe that it's our duty to highlight the biggest and most pronounced non-stories that circulate and percolate around the Dallas Cowboys. Is that fair to say? I think it's our, our obligation, 100%. Thank you. So ladies and gentlemen, as part of the broadcast of the boys' duty to you for listening to this podcast, I bring you from ESPN, and I'm just going to read the headline first. Des Bryant defends Jerry Jones, semicolon. Richard Sherman questions Cowboys owner's silence. So this is very much a non-story because it basically centers on tweets from a former player of the Dallas Cowboys, you may remember him. His name is Des Bryant. He is perpetually associated with the Dallas Cowboys and everything he tweets in perpetuity is, in fact, associated with the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, short time New Orleans Saint, but uh, <laughs> since he's never worn the uniform, I think we can all say that Des Bryant um, spent his entire career as a Dallas Cowboy. Right. I mean, I get it. I, I, I do think at times when Des tweets about the Cowboys, it's, it's relevant. So he, he went to Austin, and he was part of these protests going on in Austin, the state capitol, and then he tweeted, somebody should have brought Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, and Jason Witten to this protest down in Austin. There's not a policy change. This is a heart change, and yeah, I said it. Well, this got Jason Witten all upset, and then Witten, I guess, tweeted, hey, I called you. You didn't pick up, and basically, by the way, dude, had, had you picked up, I'd have told you, like, I'm, I'm all in on this, so thank you. So good job by Witten. So, like, this is basically what the entire story is centered around. It's centered around Des Bryant tweeting that, that Stephen Jones, Jerry, and Jason Witten should have been in Austin protest. Like, that's it. The, the Sherman thing is completely independent from it and is actually a rational thing. But it was like I was reading the story, and I'm like, 
I don't, I don't get it. So Dez tweets. Yeah. And Dez, I didn't see that as Dez coming to the defense of the Joneses. Um, right. No. Something I also saw as a headline. Um, right. We can dive into that in just a bit, but I mean, I will say it. It doesn't seem like when Dez puts something out there that it's often received positively, almost no matter what it is. <laughs> he could tweet a message of nothing but positivity. He's done it before. And the way people react to him is a little bit absurd. Why do you think that is? Well, why do we kneel, Ari? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, look, when it comes to Des Bryant, obviously his past still rings true to a lot of people. And he's had a history of, of issues, um, some deserved, some not, when it comes to criticism. But in reacting to this particular instance and him calling out the Joneses, um, and that's what I kind of saw it as. By the way, I thought the he- it was much more of a call out. The headline: Des Bryant defends Jerry Jones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, I know they're making cuts at ESPN on a pretty regular basis these days. The whole sports media industry is getting hammered, but boy, I didn't know they were that short. And so, so completely independent of Des Bryant calling out Jerry Jones of the Cowboys, uh, Richard Sherman basically made some public comments, and he, he said. He said, quote, because if it was, then they'd speak. Jerry Jones especially has no problem speaking up any other time about anything else. But when it's such a serious issue and he could really make a huge impact on it with a few words, his silence speaks volumes, end quote. So basically, again, two things completely dependent from one another. This is part of this article on the Cowboys and basically they're, you know, they're conforming to or, or, or speaking out against in support of these protests. After so, reading those quotes from Richard, which do you think was more of a call out? What Sherman said, what where he said. spoke about owners in general and then right. named Jerry Jones specifically because he's the most out there owner. And he is. He literally Sherman. has an opinion on everything. <laughs> versus Dez, who spoke Jerry by name in the singular tweet that yep. he sent out. I think Dez's was actually more of a call out than totally. Sherman's. No question. Way more. Um, and I tell you what, it's a little bit more telling coming from Dez too, considering how much the Joneses have done for Dez Bryant. Is there an aspect there where Dez should perhaps not be invoking the Joneses or maybe he's not the right megaphone to be calling the owners of the Dallas Cowboys out when he in fact has probably had some indiscretions in his past. I don't want to cover it up's not the right word, but helped along by the influence of the Jones family. I'd say that's very fair. And yeah, without a doubt, he is not the right megaphone to be to be calling out the Joneses. And then and then I think the other piece of this too is it's like the Cowboys released a video. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this know that, and they had all their players speak out about it, and like that was powerful. Um, it was a message from the Cowboys, insofar as the Dallas Cowboys, DallasCowboys.com put it together. Did it come straight from Jerry? No, but he endorses it because it's part of his brand as you know the head of the Dallas Cowboys. 
and it's more it's more in support of this cause than anything that Jerry or the Cowboys have done in the last five, six years as this has been a story. I agree that the video is a powerful step forward for the organization. Uh, on the other hand, Jerry was not featured in that video in any capacity. Right. And in almost every instance, when the Dallas Cowboys are mentioned, in a situation that maybe doesn't have to do specifically with the on-field product, Jerry Jones is front and center, and he makes a point to do so. Right. So in this instance, and I suppose in defense of Jerry, you could make the case that if he were to put himself in that video, that it might look and probably be criticized by national media members as a sort of grandstanding. Right. as a way to take attention away perhaps from the issues at hand and instead focus them on Jerry himself. And I have no doubt some in the national media would criticize him for drawing the spotlight to himself. Oh, totally. that's classic Jerry wanting to make the protests about racial injustice about him. So I can get on board a little bit with perhaps why he wasn't in the video but the questions that Richard Sherman brings up about Jerry's willingness to speak on almost any and all subject, regardless of whether the Cowboys are involved, and the fact that he hasn't spoken about this particular subject here, I can understand where people like Richard Sherman still have their doubts about where the owner's loyalties lie. Yeah. And, and I think you, you just mentioned it, right? It's a great example of Jerry being damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. I think you're right. If he's in the video, then it's, you know, it's grandstanding. Then he's, then he's deferring attention, but he's not. And then, so now he's criticized for that too. Mm -hmm. um, also coming out this week was the news that there could be a shortened preseason. Um, this was a report from NFL network, I believe basically saying that the NFL and player association were talking about the potential of reducing the preseason slate to two games from four We'll get to the Cowboys in a moment, but what they would do is they'd actually allow for longer quote unquote ramp up periods. So it wouldn't be like, Oh, you're just taking away two preseason games, not doing anything with them. It would basically give them more practice time together. Now the Cowboys have five preseason games on the schedule this year because of the hall of fame <laughs> game. It's absurd. It's more than a quarter of the season. They're playing in preseason games because of that stupid hall of fame game, which is awesome because it's, an extra game and uh, hey man get a great look at those undrafted free agents baby <laughs> and i get paid per game to do the cowboys bus game show so cheers preseason games works for me but i mean it could be too even for you know no hall of fame game and it's hard to believe they're even gonna have a hall of fame ceremony this year considering what's going on now david baker the giant who's in charge of the pro football hall of fame has basically said we're gonna go on as planned right now but we have contingencies and one of those is basically holding the ceremony next year so Shortened preseason. Cowboys would go from five to two preseason games, which is fantastic news if you hate the preseason. It's really bad news if you're paid per game <laughs> for all of us out there that are paid for every game the Cowboys have. <laughs> um, is that is this good? Is this bad? Is this you don't know? Like, what, what's your take feeling on this, Roy? Well, um, from a fan standpoint, thrilled about it. Yeah. Like, 
I don't need any more preseason games. Um, now, I suppose some people would say, well, if you're a diehard fan, you want to watch the undrafted free agents. Oh, yeah? Then where were you for the XFL or the AAF? Exactly right. Because exactly right. last I checked, Nobody the quality was. of football that we are watching on our screen does matter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so, and are you getting better as a football team too, right? Like, are you getting better by running your undrafted free agents out there? You know, are, I mean – you're you're potentially having guys like Jesse Hollywood argue, hey, you know that that's where I'm going to make try and make the team, and that I mean that's great for those guys, but there's just like in terms of are you getting better as a football team? That's the ultimate question here, and I don't think you are. Well, you know, all love to Jesse Holly, but the types of battles that take place that Jesse or the types of players that might have been involved in said battles they can take place behind closed doors. They yeah, don't necessarily have to take place, you know, in a preseason setting, especially when, you know, by and large, what really kills the quality of the preseason is like the quarterback play. We're, it's backup quarterbacks versus backup quarterbacks. And in some cases it's third stringers versus third stringers. So it doesn't matter if your elite fourth round, you know, third round wide receiver can really do something special and has the capability to do that if the guy throwing it to him is a fringe NFL player at best. Um, But that's from the fan aspect of it. Uh, I'm interested to know what you think from, and as you were kind of alluding to the technical aspect of it, of actually getting better just two preseason games, does it mean teams will allow their starters and their more regular players to get more time during those two games? I would hope so. Um, but it also would suggest to me that for teams like the Cowboys, who are dealing with a first-year head coach, who perhaps are dealing with some uh, – they're not dealing with new terminology. They kept Kellen Moore's terminology, but perhaps are dealing with new concepts or new um, – play styles I think it could be a little bit of a hindrance to a team like the Cowboys versus you know a team like say the Rams who are already solidified with their style Sean McVay knows exactly what they're going to do so two preseason games versus none probably won't affect them in any major capacity so I I actually think you know having a shortened preseason for the Cowboys in particular where you have a longer quote unquote ramp up period. Like I actually think it's beneficial for the Cowboys. Oh, I think it's beneficial because you have now more time to install, which is what you alluded to, right? Like you have maybe some of the same concepts, but there's a lot of new things. And, you know, look, even if you don't have a new coaching staff, you still are going to go through changes each. And I mean, unless you've got Jason Garrett as your head coach, you know, you're going to be changing and evolving and, and, and installing new things anyways. So like I, and plus the DAC component of, you know, is he going to show up to training camp on time? You know, how much work is he not, you know, is he not able to get in in terms of installation and all that kind of stuff with, um, you know, throughout this, this OTA part. So I just think like, don't worry about playing other teams, worry about install, worry about getting reps within the scheme. And then to your point, then maybe you do play more of your guys in in some of these preseason games. Now I'm a huge I'm 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 an opponent of playing guys any meaningful snaps in the preseason because I just I just feel like any 
like any benefit of it is outweighed by like more than 1% risk of guys getting hurt, which I just, I just think the risk of getting hurt is greater than any potential benefit of playing those games. And even though that, that might be a little bit different this year because of the way that this offseason is set up, I, I, just, I just think the practice time is, is better given the circumstances and given the circumstances not just of this offseason but of Dak Prescott too. Well, and you would think, as you mentioned, with only two preseason games, that teams would likely be healthier in general coming right. into the regular right. season, which for the Cowboys, a team that a lot of us believe is very deep at many, many positions, you know, I, I think that is also another benefit that plays into their hands that they will potentially go into the season without having to worry about Sean Lee maybe being on the shelf because he got injured in, a, in, a, in the second preseason game or Tyrone Crawford, who, you know, ultimately hurt himself in the first game of the regular season last season. But, you know, you, you can keep those guys on ice and, and make sure that you're fully healthy going into it and you don't have the extra reps in the preseason to have to worry about it. Um, I could see, I guess, where it would be beneficial to the Cowboys, but I, I think overall the shorter preseason will be slightly, uh, slightly on the opposite side of beneficial. What's the word for that? Detrimental. Yeah, there you go. Or non-beneficial. There you go. (laughs) Non-beneficial. Detrimental is good. Let me ask you something. So, in the back of my mind, I keep thinking, like, there's no way owners are going to prove this because they're already going to be losing money as it is based on attendance and whatnot. So why would they even risk potentially losing more revenue from lost games? And I guess I wonder if NFL owners think if there's only two preseason games, that, that puts more of an onus on the importance of going to that game, whereas, you know, there's just no, there's no importance to going to any of these preseason games. And so maybe – Maybe the owners think that that dynamic changes a little bit if you have less preseason games. One, essentially, one home preseason game. Yeah, and and what will that attendance figure right. be like? Right. Uh, we here in Texas have seen Governor Abbott extend uh, that amount from twenty five percent capacity to fifty percent capacity. Right. It's not totally out of the realm of possibility that that could be increased to seventy five percent capacity before the preseason starts. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's something that they're looking at revenue-wise, but I can't imagine they're fretting about it too, too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I want to get into with you today, Roy, was – so John Machoda from The Athletic uh, wrote a piece about sort of the history of first-year coaches and success that they've had because he, he, he did a kind of a survey of Cowboys fans, and there's a lot of optimism for the Cowboys this year, rightfully mm-hmm. so. Um, and so he's basically like, it's weird that there's all this optimism because, you know, history suggests this is, this is not going to be a good year for them, or at least not a Super Bowl year for them. So basically the history is 17 in the last 10 years, there's been 68 new coaching hires, 17 of those 68 first year head coaches made the playoffs. So just making the playoffs only 17 to 68. Now, which that makes sense. You're a bad team. You hire a co- you hire a new coach. So he went even further. He said four of 68 made it to the conference championship game, and only one of those 68 made it to the Super Bowl, which was Gary Kubiak of the Denver Broncos. So only coach in his first year of leading a team to take a team to the Super Bowl was Gary Kubiak out of 68 times. Now, of those 68, two had previously won Super Bowls, um, Mike Shanahan with Washington, and then I'm uh, forgetting the other one. 
Um, and then in NFL history, there's been 12 Super Bowl winning head coaches. Only one made it to playoffs in year one of their second job, which is crazy. So history of the NFL, 12 Super Bowl winning coaches that coached another team, and only one of those coaches made the playoffs their first year as the head coach. This is Mike Holmgren when he was with Seattle. So, okay, so knowing all that, it's a lot of numbers. Just threw a lot of numbers at you. Sorry. I, I, I know I told you oh. there'd be no math, but I lied. There's got to be I mean, I, I read the article, and I highly encourage people to check it out. John McShota is a real good dude, and he does good work. I agree 100% with that. Completely endorse that. Machota, good dude, does great work. So do those numbers, like, I have them at 12 and 4. I don't know what you did. Um, So I'm supremely optimistic about this football team. How, I guess, what's, where do you have them? And does that, does knowing that change your opinion of it? Uh, Well, I had them going 10 and 6 this season. And I think that's, just trying to maintain some level of, you know, this is a team that is coming off of an eight and eight year. Bill Parcells always said famously that you are what your record says you are. Now, does that necessarily mean that they were an eight win team in 2019 or at least capable of more? I think they were capable of more. I think they underachieved. I think they're more talented on paper in a lot of positions going into 2020 than they were in 2019. Perhaps only one position at the very top end can you say the Cowboys got worse, Yeah, I think. Corner. And that obviously is with Byron Jones in the cornerback yeah. position. Yeah, um, As far as the article about first-year head coaches and their chances to win the Super Bowl, though, I would like to know, and I didn't do the research to find out, so I probably should have done that before I proposed this question. I would like to know how many coaches that – were first-year head coaches, took over a football team that had won eight games the prior season. Because in most cases, when a new coach takes over a football team, it's because the old coach went 4-12 and or 3-13 and and had shown absolutely no hope of turning around a sunken ship. Right. So it doesn't surprise me that 68 first-year head coaches – out of all of them, only one of them has made it to the Super Bowl because, by and large, new coaches don't get to come in and take over good teams or good rosters. So I'm not that discouraged by the article. I appreciate the insight, and I appreciate the knowledge of it and um, the information that Machota put forth, but I'd like to drill down just a little bit deeper into that information um, to find out how relevant it is to the Cowboys' current situation. Yeah, he, he writes, together the average works out to a 7-9 finish. That's of the 68 new head coaches um, and what their record is. He said, granted, most organizations make coaching changes after poor seasons, which is what you brought up. The new coach rarely takes over a team with a high level of talent, but the overall data is not positive. Of those 68, only 17 coaches their teams to the playoffs. The group combined to win a total of 11 playoff games. Four of those coaches reached the conference championship game. Kubiak was the only one to reach the Super Bowl. Um, it, it, it doesn't make me less optimistic. It doesn't in any capacity because I still think that this team has, you know, a significant amount of talent. I think this team has a lot, had a lot of talent last year, especially on offense. And, you know, the, the, the situation with the coaching staff and, and the added pressure that that brought on the team, I think that that just, that just burst this team. You know what? I'll tell you what, I will make a guarantee for this program next week. I love it. Podcast next week. 
I will go through all 68 of those coaches and I will find out if any of them ever took over a team that was at least eight and eight. And I will also find out if any of them took over a team that many considered to be as talented as the roster that the Dallas Cowboys currently possess, because that's another factor here. It's not just us in DFW that are singing the praises of the Cowboys talent on paper. We are not alone. The outside world sees exactly what we see. We're not in the eye of the storm and unable to see through the mist. We're seeing what many objective eyes are also seeing. And that's why I, I still have optimism. And even though, again, love the article and love the thinking outside the box of it, uh, but it doesn't discourage me one iota about the Cowboys' chances in 2020. Well said, my friend. All right, that's Roy White on Twitter at rw 3 Maybe keep those questions coming. Keep those comments coming at RE Sports on Twitter. Also, please make sure to check out all the other great shows we have here on the Blogging the Boys podcast network, including the daily briefings in the morning on the Ocho, Girls Talking Boys with Kelsey Charles and Meg Murray. You can also check out the 750 with Tony Casillas and RJ Ochoa, uh, Talking the Star with Connor Livesey. Dalton Miller and Cole Patterson, and of course, broadcast the boys with yours truly and Roy White. But for now, we love you. Stay safe out there. Peace and love. Support your fellow man.